Hello, I am Pete Real, a high school English and Spanish teacher, an avid reader, and an aspiring writer. Thank you for listening to the Chills at Will podcast, in which we explore the visceral beauty of literature and its connection to our culture, our history, and ourselves. Welcome to episode 224 of the Chills of Will podcast. It's a pleasure today to be joined by Peter Coviello. Here's a little bit about Peter. Great name, by the way. He's a scholar of American literature and queer theory whose work addresses the entangled histories of sex, devotion, and intimate life in imperial modernity. A writer of criticism, scholarship, and literary nonfiction, he's the author of six books, including Make Yourselves Gods, Mormonism, and the Unfinished Business of American Secularism a finalist for the 2020 John Whitmer Historical Association Best Book Prize, Long Players from Penguin, which is a memoir selected as one of Art Forum's 10 Best Books of 2018, and Tomorrow's Parties, Sex and the Untimely in 19th Century America from NYU Press, the 2013 finalist for a Lambda Literary Award in LGBT Studies. His book, Vinland, excuse me, reread. Is it Vinland or Vinland? Vinland. Vinland, okay, all right. Yeah. Vineyard, but Vinland. Reread is from Columbia Press. It was listed among the New York Times' new and noteworthy titles for January of 2021. He taught for 16 years at Bowdoin College, where he was the chair of the Departments of Gay and Lesbian Studies, Africana, Africana Studies, excuse me, and English, and since 2014 has been at UIC, University of Illinois, Chicago, where he's professor and head of English. His newest book is Is There God After Prince? Dispatches from an Age of Last Things, which will be the focus of our conversation today. It was selected for the Millions Most Anticipated List for 2023. He advises work on 19th and 20th century American literatures and queer studies, as well as literary theory, religion and secularism, the history of sexuality, gender studies, poetry and poetics, modernism, and creative nonfiction. Peter, thanks, man. It's been good. Uh, that was that was a good uh, good time talking with you. Man, that's a lot. <laughs> I'm sorry, man. That's a, it could, I could have, I could have trimmed that down a lot. Yeah. He's not, just not, a guy. He teaches in Chicago, wrote some books. Yeah. Bless. Well, well, no, not that. I mean, you have so many accomplishments and so many books <laughs> and worked in so many interesting fields. I'm so excited to talk to you. Yeah. I wanted to, to like have the big reveal, but I, I, but I messed up on Vineland or else it would have been, you know, this would have been the first we're talking to you, but, but how are you today? <laughs> I, you know, I'm not, I'm not so bad. It's a bright, cold Chicago Saturday afternoon. Who can complain? All right. All right. I think I'm referencing, yeah, definitely referencing, if you remember Goodfellas, mm -hmm. and they said, uh, you know, everybody there was named Peter or Paul, <laughs> and they all made, married the girls named Marie. It sounds like there's no Marie in your life and nor am I, but we got two, one a half Italian and one, I think, full Italian. That's right. Uh, I'm all Italian, Peter. yeah. Yeah, no, it's true. And that's very true. Long, long, long ago, I had a friend in graduate school, and we're having, you know, we just meet for the first time, and like a month into our friendship, we're talking about middle names and the way you do, and mm -hmm. I was like, oh, well, you have a beautiful middle name, and she's like, I never told you. Why do you know? My, you've never told you my middle name. And I was like, <laughs> how is it not Marie? Of course it's Marie. Ah. And of course, in fact, good Italian girl from the East Coast. It was Marie. That's pretty funny. That's pretty yeah. funny. Wow. Well, you know, with uh, with a German surname and like I've noticed with Italians who don't have Italian last names, we try to, it's like a comparison. So when you throw out the uh, <laughs> Scogni Emilio, I think on your, on your uh, mother's side. Oh, I mean, like, I can't beat that. Yeah, that's my mother's maiden name is Scunimilio. Yeah, very Neapolitan name, Scunimilio. Yeah, I can't, I can't beat that. There's, we got Albanese, Albanese. We got Colombian. that's a great name. Yeah, but, um, you know. Yeah, you know, yeah so. you've got you, you've got your people. I'm sure you got your cousins. Yeah, <laughs> I love the Cavatelli reference. My oh, the family from beautiful. I guess Molise. They're a little north of Naples. There, or excuse me, a little east. And I guess Cavatelli is the thing to do. Yeah, as or as we as we on the east coast know it about mm -hmm. Gavadil. There you it know? is, right? And that's the one where you kind of like like you you press it down with your finger right yeah yeah it's beautiful it my yeah yeah my aunt and uncle every christmas they make it they make like a dozen yeah. pounds of it for whatever the 45 people are going to come over for christmas oh, i love it i love yeah. it my my older uncles was saying that he referenced the godfather 3 uh scene with andy garcia and sofia coppola where they're making cavatelli uh, there you go yeah <laughs> yeah i don't that's now i leave it now i make a lot of sauce i make the i hey. can't make the pie i got time for that it's too right. life is too short i can't be making my own pasta 
Such a pleasure to talk to you. I mean, it's an essay collection. I mean, is that the yeah. right way to call it, right? Yeah, I would. I think that's right, yeah. There is one towards the end about the Sopranos, and it talks about Italian-American life. It talks about aging. talks about so much. Yeah. So you do reference your family, of course, growing up in... Sounds like growing up in uh, New York, New Jersey. I'd love to know about growing up. Definitely more so your, your relationship with the written word was... Were there magazines, books all over the place? Were you the kid going to the library all the time? What was your yeah, relationship? You know, Pierre, it's funny. Um, no, I I think I had a brother who was very bookish, but I was not especially bookish, not until I was maybe 16. Then I got very excited. But the thing that I that was when I was younger that very much excited me was music. You know what I mean? Mm. My brother was older and he played in bands and I thought that uh, was so cool. Uh, and then I played the saxophone, but then... It's hard to rock on the saxophone. So I learned how to play the guitar. I learned how to play. My brother was a drummer. So I tried to play everything that wasn't the drums. Mm. And that got me like, you know, into worlds of, of music and imagination. And then you get 16 and you want to learn more about it. And that got me in the strange, I would read whatever my brother's copies of Rolling Stone sure. or, or, or Modern Drummer magazine or, or ridiculous uh -huh. things like that. <laughs> and I can remember reading somebody in Rolling Stone, my hand to God is true, somebody, I don't remember what I was reading, I was probably reading about Dylan or something like that, something very predictable for a mm. for a 16 year old boy in the mid 80s. And, mm. and they mentioned William Faulkner. Ah. Like somebody just said that William Faulkner was interesting. And I was like, oh, hmm, huh. And I can remember then trying to read, trying and failing to read something like um, Sound of the Fury and being sort of captivated. And then I was, you know, then I was in my late teens and I was like a rock rolling downhill. Then I wanted mm. more of it and I wanted to hear more stuff. And I went to college and you met more people you could talk about books with and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and that's that's sort of how it that's sort of how it happened for me. Honest to God, um, records and talking about them was really mm. the gateway. You know what I mean? Yeah. One of my greatest professors of all time, he was a Catholic priest at the Catholic high school I went to, but sadistic, man. He had us do Sound and the Fury uh, senior year of high school. Yeah, oh my that's God. when you try it, right? And it's, I can, I can like remember, and it's a kind of exhilarating thing, you know, being baffled by something. Yes. Like, you know, something is in front of you just vibrating with mm. meaning and consequence and beauty, mm. but your ability to take it in is as yet delimited and you just want more. Sure. You just want to get sharper with it. You just want to be able to enter into it more. I can remember that. That's like, geez, I'm, I'm 52. So that's a long time ago. That's like a, a 35 years ago. Like it was yesterday, like right. reading this going like, I'm not sure what's happening. The language here is so what's, you know, yes. and just, just wanting more of it, just wanting just the feeling of, of, of hunger for it. Yeah. Definitely. And then, and then that was followed up by, uh, I, maybe it came first, but, uh, Porch of the Artist. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. And you had a, you had a hard going stuff. Oh my gosh. Yeah. This was, uh, this was Father McCurdy. He was, I mean, if you picture, uh, the, the public intellectual, not public, but the intellectual in your mind is exactly him. The beard. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Smoked, smoked a pipe. Who smokes a pipe anymore? <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, he's going, he's going all in. If you're smoking right. a pipe. He's got the, got the tweed, tweed jacket with the elbow patches, the whole. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that, I mean, honestly, that was sort of it. Like it occurred to me at some point. Oh, I know what it was too. Like, you know, again, in the very dorky, predictable boyish way. I was like really into Dylan and then Dylan. Oh, it turns out how did he get his name? It was from Dylan Thomas. Oh, that guy wrote poetry. Uh, 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 that got me into reading Dylan Thomas. And then I read other people like Elizabeth Bishop was amazing. I got from Elizabeth Bishop, like Derek Walcott and like, okay. you know what I mean? Like the degree of my adolescent, somewhat idiotic devotion to bands and records and, and singers mm -hmm. and stuff like that sort of propelled me toward this other proximate adjacent world, which was sure. the world of books. And uh, yeah. I love that. I love the idea of like the family trees. This musician turns you on to this musician who knew about this. And then yeah. there's nothing new under the sun kind of thing. It all, I, I guess the idea, not not there's nothing new under the sun, but the whole, I think for whom the bell tolls, how that has like 20 la layers of illusion. Yeah. Right? I mean, Metallica I makes... made a song, right? You know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when I think of it now, and you, I know you also work with young people. Mm -hmm. It's a kind of exciting thing about working with young people is that they have this all to discover and you can watch sort of the 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 spark and the mm -hmm. jolt of discovery going through them. And that's just very exhilarating to be around because you have no idea where it's going to take them. You have no right. idea what's going to follow from it. And that's kind of like, you know, teaching is hard and grading is hard and all, uh, that's all true. 
but you get to be around that sort of like quotidian miraculousness mm -hmm. every now and yeah. again. And that's, that's pretty great. That's a, that's, that's, that's a, that's a ungainsayably good thing about the, about the gigs we have. Oh, man. Well, g give me a minute. I'm going to go, um, I'm going to go copyright that. I'm going to go rob that, that expression from you. Intellectual <laughs> property. I love that quotidian. What was it? Quotidian marvelousness? Qu quotidian? Something like that. Yeah. As a, good. As a was quotidian good. joyousness of just watching the kids, you know, like, and you can't even say in advance what it's going to be. You know yes, what I mean? Like yes. it could be this. I used to teach a you know, I teach a big introduction to poetry class, like 50 kids. They weren't going to be English majors. Mm. And you could just, was it going to be Philip Larkin or was it again going to be Elizabeth Bishop or, mm. and something would just land hard yeah. with people. And that's kind of amazing. Like a, like a Frank O'Hara poem, you know, mm -hmm. the love you so much, you know, that that's, okay. it's a happy thing to get to be around. Definitely, the you know you know there's different types of the music you, you listen to the to the mellow music when you're writing maybe whatever I was you know for my for the workouts is raging it's a machine, and I was just thinking <laughs> well I'm, God bless you for doing workouts man that's what I, I say you know yeah <laughs> we're just thinking about how you know th their CDs for me I mean they had the they had like recommended reading on the liner notes Noam Chomsky <laughs> right and like you know against Empire and and so yeah. I'm just thinking about that idea where you're talking about where. You, know, you wouldn't necessarily always think that that music would lead you to literature, but it but it, it can and does for sure. Yeah. And oftentimes, I mean, and the book is in large ways about this, even if it doesn't lead you to a particular book or whatever, often you get to love the things you get to love or one of the ways you get to love them is by like talking about it with people who are your friends, who you love mm -hmm. and mixing up your appraising sense with theirs and matching your language to theirs and throwing against it. And in that sort of mix of discourse something else will come up oh someone else will have read heart crane or something like that you know what i mean and that for me was again i have a lot of respect for that amateurish adolescent scene of overabundant eagerness and discovery and yes. that's what i i kind of i i, I even though a lot of it's preposterous because when you're an adolescent you're a little bit preposterous mm -hmm. nevertheless i have i have a real warmth for it and and the book is sort of trying to be in touch with at least some of those energies definitely i'm really interested to know if you've read one particular writer but also would just like to know in general as you mm -hmm. continue to go into college into, into grad school and such who are some of the writers who really just continue oh. to you know flip the switch or whatever uh you know idiom you want to use yeah what a good question i uh, probably exactly like you and like everybody else there was like seasons and tides for you know what i mean like things sure. changed as i got older when i was young as I said, William Faulkner was so captivating because so um, it so resisted me. I strangely I liked um, I liked poetry a lot, and I you know I liked um, in and will never get over my attachment to Elizabeth Bishop. Mm. Seamus Heaney meant a lot to me when I was young. Then at a certain point, I read John Ashbery, okay. and that rewrote the world mm. for me in like super large scale ways. It got me into Henry James. Who I could never get to the other side of. Um, Henry James got me in an odd path to James Baldwin. This mm. person writes essays. That meant an enormous amount to me. But at the same time, so I'm doing all that, right? My scholarly stuff. And then the person who's always, there are two people who's always at the center of my thinking and they're like Whitman and Melville. Mm. And so they're always going to be near to me. But while I'm doing that, right, I'm also reading other kinds of things like people who write about records you know mm -hmm. and and greg tate who is a guy who wrote oh, flyboy yeah. and the buttermilk and that meant i can't even tell you how much a book like that meant he to me you know what i mean fairly recently am i right he Within did like two three years yeah he did yeah and if you were like a kid in the 80s and 90s and you know you get your friend's beat up copy of lester bangs mm. you know that meant an enormous amount that meant an enormous amount in the same way that i would i think like jessica hopper is mm -hmm. land for young people is just going to be like this is a thing that really means a lot to me or hanifa mm -hmm. de Karib, these like those are like other they're not um novelists say but they're people who just meant an enormous amount to me as people like living inside a voice and making that voice right. talk on the page and talk about these objects that they were invested in in a way I could recognize, right. even if I didn't know the object, even if I didn't know the 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 particular band they were talking about, I recognized the degree of their devotion to it and was mm. like, oh yeah, that 
Um, yeah. yeah. And then I, then I, as I got older, like, you know, then, it, then it just sort of goes in all, all sorts of directions. I will, you know, a person who meant a lot to me as a nonfiction writer, uh, was, as Helen McDonald, who wrote H's for Hawk, okay. which is a beautiful book. And I thought like, listen, man, not a lot of people care about like super chunk or whatever. And that's totally fair. I don't really care about Hawks and falconry. Sure. And I was captivated and devastated by her book. And I thought, okay, that's a model. Okay. <laughs> that's a yeah. yeah, that's a thing you could learn from, you know. I'm, I mean, kind of, uh, kind of well tread, but I'm interested to know if you got into David Foster Wallace. Only, you know, only a little, in part because the people who interested me more, I think, I, I think of myself as more like we were reading the same things. Mm. Like I wrote a book about Thomas Pynchon who I can't mm. just at the level of the sentence, a guy who combines like vernacular comedy with Jamesian syntax. That was mm. just the world for me. And I, and Foster Wallace obviously uh, right. devoted to pension DeLillo, like white noise when I was yeah. whatever age I was meant a lot to me. And I'm super impressed by the people who follow, <laughs> who follow from DeLillo, like Rachel, Rachel Kushner and Dana Spiata and folks like that, like people who inherited that mantle they were they were more my people so so less uh dfw than other of the yeah. inheritors of the of the delillo pension mode that makes sense that makes sense yeah as we into 2024 i mean I, I know that you must read widely and i don't i mean i mean read widely in the truest sense that you you, you, know, you write about pop culture you write about shoot the you know climate crisis and the end of days and yeah and uh you know more familial more interpersonal things yeah. I wonder about who you read just, you know, for fun and if that's even um Oh my god, right yeah. Word, right? Who are you reading in yeah. for, you know? Who am I reading in that's a, that's a really good question like I found this year in part because of just being busy that I'm doing a lot of things that probably you do too. I'm doing a lot of comfort reading, mm. like reading people whose books I know have meant a lot to me and just like returning to them. So like, I don't know, in the fall, I read a bunch of Shakespeare again. Here's the hot take. It's good. You know, like, yeah. there's, there's really a lot of Shakespeare's, but like Anna Burns has a novel called Milkman, which I think is the greatest, arguably the greatest novel in English of the 21st century. Wow. Read that again. Oh yeah. It's just overpoweringly hmm. great. Um, I was that's reading. Not, that's not the, I'm sorry to interrupt you. That's not the hyperbole you use with your students in class though. <laughs> No. no, that one I straight okay. up mean. Okay. Yeah, I've, I've, I've okay. taught that book a couple times. I cannot ah. speak strongly enough about the okay. just over. It's hard to imagine a book that is that intellectually powerful, that terrifying, like moment to moment frightening, mm -hmm. and that funny, that just formally agile in its wading into language. So Anna Burns, mm -hmm. Milk Band. I reread the Patrick Melrose novels, Okay, uh, Edward St. Aubin who I really have, again, a very funny writer. As you know, we were talking about a little before, I just always am going to love Sam Lipsite. And sure. when I'm when I'm, when I'm I'm down mm -hmm. and I need to, to have a crackling sort of sentence to go to, mm -hmm. uh, Sam Lipsite is is absolutely one of the, 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 the people I'll just like um, take up Paul Beatty. I reread that again. Um, yeah, so I'm as you can hear, I'm a little um slightly out of date. It was a year of like returning to <laughs> to to slightly older things I was really into. Yeah. Yeah, I've heard about that Shakespeare guy. He's he's pretty decent. Huh? Yeah, I know that's again, you that's where you come here for for smoking hot takes like that. Like, hey, it turns out Julius Caesar got some pretty good lines. You got some pretty good poetry there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the... So that's why I'm getting paid the big bucks, man. Yeah. wonder about some of the seeds for is there god after prince yeah. which maybe is more more spread out being that it you know it's not one i would say it's not one coherent piece but it is but they are separate essays so yeah. i wonder about some of the the ideas of maybe like i always love that verb to to collect them you know yeah no that's 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 a that's a very good question so like i mean i guess i should say for your listeners like i am an academic you know i mean like i'm a scholar so i write books about melville and i write books about the history of sexuality in the 19th century and i write like scholarship you know what i mean like mm. in the archives that sort of thing and while i was doing that i got interested in what it would mean to write i don't know not less not not with less perspicacity or whatever less clarity but with like 
in a different voice. Mm. The voice that I would use to talk to you over dinner or in a bar, as opposed to the voice I would use, say, like standing behind a lectern. Mm -hmm. And, you know, about a decade ago, a little more than that, I started writing pieces in that in that register, pieces about my stepdaughters, pieces about records, pieces about particular passages of life, people, pieces about things I want to write. And I wanted to see how much I could make of that voice in the register of 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 criticism, mm -hmm. of of making an appraising account of an object that I was attached to. That was really it. And so some of it is just really like me trying to be inside that voice. But of course, you do that for a decade and you recognize that you have particular things that are of great fascination to you. And for me, it's like, how do these sort of ridiculous objects like poems and books and records keep us held to the world and to mm -hmm. one another? Mm -hmm. And how do they do so even in times that feel calamitous and indeed ruinous? Mm -hmm. And that ended up being the thing I wanted to spend a lot of time with, thinking about things that it was hard to think of at scale. Like it's hard to think of the planetary conditions of the world in 2055 at scale. Mm -hmm. And trying to think those in the same place was what I did for a couple of years with writing this book. Yeah. The intro starts with the, the this jolt. What I what I love about this book is that you're not you're you're unashamed to be to be a fan. Yeah. And you know, you know, fandom, <laughs> fandom has such such heavy connotations with it these days, right? A lot of negative, but like, I think I'm the same way, hopefully, right? Let, let's, I I heard this song, like I'm going to play it 25 straight times. I'm going to be I'm obsessed play it. with it, right? Exactly, and I'm going to pass it on to everybody. Oh my God, you yes. haven't heard this? You should hear this. Well, you should really listen to it. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. exactly. My my professor back at, in the day at Santa Clara, Ron Hansen, I don't know if you know the author. Oh my God, are you kidding? Yes. Ron Hansen, the author yes. of the collection of fiction, Nebraska. Exactly. One of him. the books, dude, Dude, that is a book of short stories that meant a great deal to me, in part yes. because I had these two roommates. Where were they from? I loved them very much. I continue to love them uh -huh. very much. And they were from where? Nebraska. Uh -huh. And so when we were in college, well, forgive me for cursing. We read the shit out of that book. Yeah. Like I can, he has an amazing story called Wickedness yeah. about the storms that come in. Like, mm -hmm. I remember that book. Like, like, I can't tell you I've taught that book. Oh. That's amazing. That is a versatile writer, Ron Hansen. Oh yes, he's such a great professor. I remember that he. I mean, he. Um, you know, he was tough. I mean, he gave me so much, so much great feedback. Like, yeah. hey, this this isn't gonna work. But but but, and he was. You know, you're right. It's not gonna work. But he. Um, I think I'm pretty sure I was in his class like the day that he sold the the Jesse James. Oh, the, that, the Brad. I think Brad Pitt. Yeah, that right? became and, uh, a movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was yeah. pretty cool. He was in, he was in a pretty good mood, as you can probably guess. <laughs> That's tremendous. That's another amazing book, like a detuned Western. Huh. Yeah, man. Oh, that's so great. Ron Hanson, he's yes. a writer. Honestly, he's a writer who means a lot to me. He has a, a beautiful story about aging in Nebraska called Red Letter Days. It says the, the story itself, Nebraska is great. Uh, he's got like a, yeah, that's, that's, that is absolutely world, fantastic. Right? That is a small world. That's he's, so uh, cool. I believe he's a Catholic deacon now. Oh, you, you know, I had, Pretty sure. I had Pretty sure, no yeah. idea. He yeah. wrote a later novel I remember reading called A Little Night Music. Okay. And I kind of lost track of him. I have, you know, novelist friends who would know more, who've like yes. been on panels or whatever with mm -hmm. him. I've yeah. never met him. I've never met anything like them. Yeah. I just know that the book of short stories in Nebraska meant an enormous amount to me, even though he's like super famous for the, the assassination of uh, right. Jesse James with a coward right. Robert Ford. I like that book, et cetera, but like that short story collection, Nebraska, that really meant the world to me. Short stories are, I mean, I'll say this on a different day that, that novels are where it's at and, you know, nonfiction is where it's at, but short stories are where it's at. He, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was in his class that I read Tobias Wolf. He would call him Toby. Oh, was, yeah. He knows Tobias Wolf. He calls him Toby. Yeah. Like, yep, that's, uh, you know, oh, man. That um, is completely rad. <laughs> but my point of bringing him up is that he was the, editor co-editor of a collection called you've got to read this oh nice right it's that whole idea of like you've got to like what are you doing you haven't read this and it was it was pretty cool because it was modern this was probably 2004 ish yeah. writers you know introducing the stories that hook them yeah, yeah. That oh so that's cool. very cool yeah i mean man i guess i would put it like this and i try to say this the book and i try to say it in my teaching and whatever but like here's two things i got interested in writing about in this different voice because this different voice a lot from love and sorrow. Both mm. of those things take a lot of forms. One yeah. form that love takes is the love for a set of objects 
love for a stupid yeah. set of things like a poem or a story. But I would say with real insistence that love is not the opposite of or the cancellation of critique. Mm. Think of all that go, think of all that's chaotic inside love, you know? That mm -hmm. same thing can happen in respect to the love of an object. It is not the, it's not just belletrism. It's not just, isn't this beautiful because it's actually combative. It's actually mm -hmm. fractious. It's actually brews up a lot. Mm -hmm. So what I really wanted the book to speak up for was not just the, the way our ardor for an object attaches us to the world, though I think it does that, yes, it but does. the particular kinds of clarity that that fractious sort of love can produce a clarity that does not exclude criticism of the most dressing down damning kind in moments. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, so to, to love something is not always to approve of it or to think that it's virtuous. Right. Right. Um, and something of that uh, contentiousness is there in talk, is there when you fight with people you care about about an object. That's that's something that one is always contending with. And again, as I say, I wanted, I wanted some of those crosswise energies to get mm -hmm. into the book. It's maybe not exactly the same thing you're saying, but in the intro, you talk about one of the lines is, quote, we do not always love what's good for us, <laughs> right? Yeah. Which is a great line. And art and music are not not a palliative, right? They're things like, yeah. I mean, possibly a thesis for, for the intro, if not the whole thing is, you know, these cherished things, these records, these books bring those two worlds together. Like you talked about this, these opposites, these contrasts, this juxtaposition. And I love how you basically say, hey, if you're looking for objectivity, you're not going to find it here. <laughs> yeah, that's a mode that I assume I have respect for. That's not, I can write in that mode, but that uh -huh. is not this book. I guess I would say with respect to the like, you know, going around talking, one of the things I want to say is like, you won't read the book and think, well, this is a person who doesn't love stuff like books yeah. and poems and movies or whatever. At the same time, I wouldn't want to sell you the goods. I, I wouldn't yeah. want to produce a fundamentally belittling valorization of books the point about books is not that reading them makes the world as such better i'm not convinced that a that's true or b that that's a helpful way of looking at the world i can think of lots of incredibly literate artistic-minded cultures that did unspeakably barbaric things sure. right yeah. so yeah. i don't want to belittle things that i love by thinking of them as curative, that's not to say that they do nothing at all. Mm. What they do is sort of arm us with unaccustomed ways of thinking. That's not everything. That's not a riot. That's not a mass movement. That's not any of those other things, but it may be part of the sequence that moves us toward those things. Equally, it may not be. So trying to have a sort of like a, 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 a willingness to, to feel out the difference between loving an object and thinking that that object scales up sure. to the wreckage of the world and sort of refusing that that sort of to me falsely heroicizing gesture that uh, was a lot of what a lot of what energized the book which as you can see it was definitely a a pandemic book as you and i were saying like yes. a downhearted book about joy is how i've taken <laughs> to describing it well, yeah. there, there are at least, I mean, there are a few phrases that you use a lot that I just love. I love, I love the usage of and yet, <laughs> you know, like you're saying, yes, yeah. you know, uh, you know, literacy or the love of poetry or the love of the written word is not going to save us, but, and yet we still do it. Right. And, 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 also, yet the it idea of, yeah. and also the idea, right. Of like, uh, it's not nothing. It's not nothing yeah. that we love these things, that we have these phantoms, that we love these records, these songs. Right. Yeah. I have a beautiful friend in Michigan of fellow named Paul Erickson and he sat down and did a reading with me and he said that's the the, the guide word of this book is not nothing yeah like and and whatever it is that abides in that double negative the thing that <laughs> the thing that might be outside of that negation that's kind of what I'm interested in what can be what can be made of it and what can be made of it between people right that's where a lot of the uh, a lot of the the energy of the book uh resides yeah but that's yeah the, and yet is definitely true like you know listen man trying to be a dialectical thinker you know <laughs> trying to make a position and unwrite it at the same time yeah <laughs> the intro you definitely sent me down the the youtube rabbit hole but for, for <laughs> wussy the intro wussy. starts off with this jolt this jolt that was provided by the by the band wussy and i definitely was thinking i i i'm not gonna uh, lie i first searched up thinking it was um teenage dirtbag do you know that song 
yeah this is a different song i was like that's i was like wait a minute i don't i was like i really actually like that song a lot but i don't know that it's the deepest most profound yeah like, okay teenage wasteland right so we have teenage wasteland <laughs> cincinnati's own wussy great band great band yeah it's a great call because i mean i mean the first one on youtube is that particular performance in seattle oh is it really yeah the yeah. live in the, in the live in the radio station well, devastating you talk about algorithms later maybe you were the one who moved out it up the algorithm <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Listen, I'm happy to do with they've done me more good yeah. than my buying their records has ever paid them back for Lisa Walker, cool. the fellas in uh, Chuck Cleaver, the fellas in Wussy. Mm. That that record meant an enormous amount to me. And in the pandemic, oh, my God, when I felt so uh, marooned and so right. isolated from people watching that video of her just transport huh. of her sort of like rapture when she shakes off the headphones, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Oh, it just yeah. moved me so much, you know? Well, it's one of those where it's like, you know, words don't suffice and they don't, but you you described it so well. And, you know, I was definitely like following along with the video like it was, uh, you know, like it, we we're going to find out who just won the lottery or something. Like, that. <laughs> okay, when's she going to do it? What, at, at, two, at 2.26 or uh, when is it, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this, yeah, for, yeah, it's just all it is. is that's, that's all it is. A woman singing this beautiful song sure. and she's taken up at it and she has to shake off her studio headphones Mm -hmm. And it's just like, I think I call it in the book, like a, another page turn in the great glossary of rock and roll euphoria. It's just euphoric. Yeah. Yeah. It just shimmers. It's so yeah. good. Well, yeah. So, I mean, you know, it was, it was when I was eight years old, it was a particular book about a, a baseball player that I had to tell my friends about, or it was a particular. Which baseball player? Well, no, I, I just, I just, read, <laughs> not, not, not Derek Jeter. Sorry. Sorry. Not Derek no, Jeter. That's all right. That's fair. That would be shocking if it was. <laughs> I just think about reading like those biographies of like, you know, Jackie Robinson and Oh my God, yeah. You know, that that really Yeah, Roberto Clemente. I remember yes. being a kid oh. reading about Roberto Clemente, being, Oh my God, he died. It's terrible. You know, yeah. Really. Right. But you know, just the idea of the the things that give you the jolt. The I hate to say it, but the now justifiably canceled writer from New Jersey, Mr. Diaz, you know, and um the, you know the that Oscar, you, Oscar Wilde you, book and everything, right? Yeah, Uni Diaz and I went to grad school together. Is that right? Yeah, he was he was he was in the creative writing program. He was just like an unbelievably gifted yeah, right. writer. And and he took a like his first book you remember, a super successful book of stories. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I always admired the fact that he took a lot, he could have he could have made a lot of money just publishing the next thing off his desk. And he took uh -huh. a lot of time with Oscar Wilde. Right? Took a light and take it off. He just was working and sure, working and sure. working and had to get that book right. And I thought that, you know, he oh, did. Man. Nailed it. In recent years, it's been no surprises, Radiohead. Nice. I mean, you get the idea. Just, you know, yeah. those things that you talk about so much in the book, it's just, I have to pass this on. And yeah. and someone's going to find out about Wussy. They're going to find out about through this this episode. And, uh, you know, I think it's, you know, same thing with like the, oh, man, do you, I'm sure you've seen the video, the unplugged Nirvana yeah. when he does, um, where did you sleep last night? Yeah, and his voice goes like oh. that. Yeah, it's one of those and the eyes, moments. You know, you yeah, know, one of those. It's so it's, it's about fandom. It's about the jolt, and you write about that so well. Yeah, and those things are also so much about sorrow. You know what I mean? You were speaking of seeing the the very famous fall of '93 Nirvana unplugged thing, and it's so beautiful. I can remember at the time I'm doing the Lead Belly song. Yeah, doing the Vaseline's. You think of it now, and it just there's so much grief attached to it. You know, like think of how old we are now. That was an extremely talented young young person mm -hmm. trying to manage a set of overwhelming things and not quite being able to. You know, he's going to be dead in six months. Right, six months, and he's a kid. You know, mm -hmm. now he's he's my my stepdaughter is older than he right, is. right, um, and mm -hmm. I feel like. A lot of, especially, I will say, in the pandemic, a lot of one's relation to even cherished things was shot through sort of undercurrent of um, sort of unresting grief, hmm. and that's 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 one place where it surely caught up, you know. Mm -hmm. That's um, for sure. Yeah, yeah. You talk about aesthetic arguments or arguments of, of value for music, for that song, for that book. And I definitely, you know, with the same passion, you know, 
that we talk about for the Nirvana song or this book and this and that. I definitely have those arguments or those discussions. Yeah. And I think that's probably a better way to put it. Sometimes like being a big sports fan, it's like, okay, who's the, who's the top five of all time? And it's like, you're never gonna, <laughs> you're never gonna agree with the person. It's like, sometimes no, the, like, eh. the point you know? isn't the answer. The point is the talking. The point is yes. the, yes. the point is the roundabout. The point is set trying to dispute between you, which mm -hmm. terms are appropriate and why, right. like that's the, that's the point. The point is not because you're going to have a, a final, mm -hmm. like, like positivist definitive answer. Mm -hmm. The point is that nobody can quite say what the appropriate terms of measure are. And so you have to fight about them. Sure. You have to assert your own and you have to do so with both clarity and force and generosity. Uh-huh. And you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. And those scenes can be, I mean, I'll say like as a, as a, as a dude who was proximate to scenes, there's a kind of dudishness that I always was afraid of yes, and didn't really yes. like. But like, as I've gotten older, I feel like, well, if if you don't feel like your belonging is at stake, if you don't feel like like at everything you say, your status is being calibrated in the particular scene that you are a part of, mm -hmm. then you give yourself a little more latitude. Like, let's just say, like, if you feel loved in whatever scene you're in and secure there, then you could go hard. Okay. Then you could okay. be less worried about being an <laughs> asshole because you're dismissing somebody or, or sure. expunging sure. them. You know what I mean? Sure. And those have always been the, I don't know, the scenes that have meant the most to me where, where, where dispute was not about people's right to be in it, but about yes. curiosity and clarification. And that's, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to sustain those scenes, but when you're in them, they're magic. Definitely. I mean, you write so well about, these these arguments these discussions are are ways of coming together and that and that makes a lot yeah. of sense i i feel like 99% of my discussions they're they're great ones i love talking about literature and music it's just when the when the guy says okay you know you're on a, you're on a deserted island you get 10 albums what are they going to be and it's like eh, i don't know is that is, is that what or is that 1% you know ad hominem um argument well what's the best uh rap group of the 90s uh you're stupid okay yeah. <laughs> that's a different different story altogether right, right. yeah I've, i mean i guess the way I've, I've i've always thought about it is like you know when you have your friends they're people you love and one way that you love them and it's particularly when you're young and you're trying to sustain that love mm -hmm. over distance over over time not seeing each other like talking is one of the ways you do it and often what you're talking about is the things that you love together or have a certain ardor around together Even you don't agree about like you know and there's an essay in the in the book about loving Steely Dan, which God helped me I do. <laughs> mostly what I love when I hear Steely Dan is my love for this particular friend of mine with whom I've been talking about Steely right. Dan for 30 yes. years. Yes, yes, yes. And that's that makes me feel anchored to the world. And it's even through this preposterous object like 70s Coke binge uh, jazz rock. But A, I love it. And B, I love it in part because what rings out in it to me is my love for this person who's cared for me since I was 18 years old, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah. A great, a great friend of mine. And uh, he, on one hand, it was so, so precious, such a, such a nice act on his part that he didn't tell me for years that he's not an Incubus fan anymore. And so <laughs> he they kept it from you. He, he kept, kept it from it me. Inside, you know, yeah. we, we we bonded over that for sure, among many other things. And he, uh, I was talking about going to the concert. They're doing like uh, their Morning View twenty years, something like that anniversary. Yeah, he's like, I got to tell you, you know, I, I just I just haven't listened more. I'm like, oh man, but that's so nice of him not to say that. He wanted to keep <laughs> yeah. that going, right? Exactly. So right? he's guys doesn't want to doesn't want to doesn't want to hurt your feelings. <laughs> wants you to feel like you can talk about it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's very. And again, like I think my as I say, my stepdaughters are in their in their later twenties now, and watching young people try to sustain their worlds mm. through conditions of dispersal and and distance and they're no less inventive than we were when we were kids and watching that scene yeah. of invention and curiosity and language making is very moving you know? it is yeah you quote dana spiota saying basically obsession is unexplainable you get you get right into chapter one with the title essay. So cool. Back in 1999, literally, right? 1999. You, you Maine kind of feeling a little bit cut off from the world a bit. And you started to have these purple rain parties, just just dance parties, yeah. just... Uh, were these completely sober dance parties? Were these? I mean, come on, man. We're, we're, I'll tell you what. We were. Is nineteen ninety nine? As the essay says, I just gotten a job. I was a new professor. I was a kid. I was twenty seven years old. And really, no, it's just sort of thing. You know what I mean? That's too young. They 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 could have done better than hire me, but they hired me. 
So suddenly you have money, you can buy beer in bottles. Yes, yes, and yes, so yes. on the one Bop, hand, bop. there's there's terror because you have a new job and you're like a professional person. On the other hand, there's exhilaration. Mm -hmm. Look, I'm doing it with these people, right? And I'm in this world. And it, strangely, just this week, I was back at Bowdoin College giving mm. a talk, and there were there were in the room with me people who were at that party and oh, 25 right. years ago, right this week or whatever. Uh, and that was a real pleasure. That was a that was a time of of fright and insobriety and great great. <laughs> joy like look at us doing this thing and so cool. that was all around prince around the sort of miracle the like ongoing living miracle that is prince the like much more than state of minneapolis mm. um, midwest black genius mm. whose death is still in like real and unexaggerated ways kind of unthinkable to me like yeah. i know it happened i understand that mm. and yet it's not something i can fully apprehend in its breath of meaning and that's a long time ago now man that's eight years ago coming up oh my gosh you you basically write about him as just unlanguageable and that makes so much <laughs> yeah sense. I mean, right you think of when he actually literally used a symbol he literally didn't wasn't prince for a while right yeah and so interesting that you write about him as the most and these are my words but kind of like the most heretical of the rock stars but you write that he's the quote least secular rock star we've known yeah. i have great respect great admiration for prince i know that he's an absolute genius but i don't know that i've i fully get it what how would you what is it about him oh. that's almost like a religious experience not like yeah. a religious experience i mean one way to put it would just this is just one way to put it because i think other people will apprehend this in different ways like hmm. um there's to me for prince a constant otherworldliness mm. like all the terms and genres of explanation you might rush to the scene of his person get exhausted by him and broken mm. by him he's always bewildering the nearest to hand critical idioms and it's as though he is like comes from another world you guys see david bowie behind me he's a little bit like george mm -hmm. clinton or david bowie but i don't think of him as like a sci-fi visitant right, right right because along with that ethereal strange puzzling otherworldliness like his deep weirdness he's also so much of the earth he's so much about the body and carnality and and the life of the flesh mm. there's no one like more simultaneously <laughs> of the fleshly earth and like from some planet you have never been to. Mm -hmm. And that for me uh, makes him an icon. And that for me makes him um, something other than the merely secular, like right. something that is always wrecking the the terms of appraisal proper to the merely secular world. That that would be my short version of the, yeah. of the indwelling divinity of uh, <laughs> Prince Roger Nelson. Yeah, yeah. Well, and also he, he made some great waffles and he could ball. He could right. You oh, see no, what I'm saying? I'm dang it, pancakes. Sorry, pancakes. pancakes. Like that deep weirdness. Like, yes. who is this person? Yes. I think like Chappelle's kind of loving burlesque <laughs> gets something right, and what it gets right is like this person is like only kind of of the shared earth with us, yeah. but he's also fantastically human. Yeah. He understands about seduction. He understands about living in a body. He understands about mm. silliness. Mm. Like, and that. In the intensity of that combination along with the like outrageous Mozart like virtuosity like oh yeah no sure in this three and a half minute pop song I will condense this mm. fractious history of uh, R&B soul pop music mm. jazz like, I mean that all those things in one place you just can't believe that it was real yes. you can't you know what I mean yeah that's my constant still yeah. grief battered sense of Prince yeah I know right the the second essay is the last psychedelic band. Yeah, um, you know we're getting this from our students, right? What were the '90s like? <laughs> um, man, you um, you caught a couple of strays in this one, though. You said, you know, all generations are cool. It's it's kind of just a marketing thing. You said, except for the boomers. Dang, ouch! <laughs> Terrible. Terrible. Yeah? Come on. Terrible. Think of that. Um, like, like the most the most well-treated post-war yeah. social service generation in the history of the country now out there being talking about these spoiled children. Oh my God. That's true. Oh, That's true. That's very true. Um, you know, man. just and, the, the, the most prosperous, fortunate generation in the history of the species. Right. Out there pulling the rug of social services out from the young people. Can't, <laughs> can't deal with it, man. You make a lot of yeah. great points. Um, 
it's it's in that it's in that essay where you I believe where you shout out Slumberland. You're talking about Sam Lipsight. Uh, no, excuse yeah, me, that's, a, that's Paul yeah. Beatty. Yeah. Oh, excuse me, Paul Beatty. Right, but beautiful just novel. So prophetic, right? Yeah, the book about '89. Yeah, mm -hmm. forecasting the neoliberalism of the '90s. Yeah, another writer who like Sam Lipsight is incredibly incisive and so funny. Yeah, just incapable of writing a dull sentence. It's 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 so hard to be funny on the page, isn't it? I mean, some of it is just like a constant aliveness mm -hmm. to the um, elasticity and weirdness of language. Sure. And okay. Anna Burns, who I was talking about before, that like there's, again, not a single uh, rote or lifeless sentence in the whole book. Mm -hmm. Lipside incredibly sparking. You know, I think of other people like Grace Paley, like people who mm -hmm. just make language jump. Uh, um, make language feel like the electrified thing that it is. Paul mm -hmm. Beatty is another one. Um, those are the people. And Greg Tate, who we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Not not a dull dull sentence, not a sentence mm -hmm. unenlivened at right. any moment at all without the like power of his voice. Anyway, those are the people I, I find myself um, envying, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and well, you uh, definitely you definitely pull off the same. I mean, not a not a sentence is unenlivened. That's that's for oh, sure. that's very kind of you to say, man. It's very true. I don't know if we can claim pavement here. I'm a Sacramento. I don't know if we can claim pavement. They're from Stockton or the Bay Area or both. They're from Stockton. Yeah, they okay. they're from Stockton, and they meet. If I'm not mistaken, they meet a bunch of them. Go to UVA, so they meet in Charlottesville. Go okay. back to California. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, just you know, just I I can claim We're within. I'm within probably 58 minutes of Stockton, so. <laughs> We'll claim them right. Listen, man, that counts. That that absolutely, counts. you kidding me? Yeah, Sacramento you're... area, right? Sacramento area. Yeah, Sacto. Yeah, you'll yeah. be close to the Bay Area. You'll be close to bands that I've cared a lot about, like Jawbreakers, and yes. definitely uh -huh. California band. You know, is it kids things? I was super into. Remember, remember another Bay Area like Queer Core Teen. Remember Imperial Teen? Sounds familiar. I can't say that. Yeah, they were they were great. They're another. Again, Sorry. now we're just now we're just deep diving the '90s, like old <laughs> man. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we, we will definitely claim the Deftones. We'll, <laughs> I, I don't, I'm not a huge fan, but we'll claim Cake, right? Yeah, no, totally. Yeah. Yep, yeah. can do that. Absolutely. And I want to say Tesla as well. Uh, oh, I don't know. And then there's yeah. all Operation Ivy before a little before uh, our time, okay. but another okay. another uh, West Coast band. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, SF. Yeah, you referenced uh, one of the one of payment song un, unfair. It's yeah. If I'm reading it correctly, you you basically saying it's kind of it's it's unironic in the way that it's presented and I, maybe I'm missing the connection too, but you, in the different part of the chapter, you connect that quote about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. They're on their way through the wall. Yeah. That great, that great, uh, that great Paul Beatty quote. Yeah. Right. So I just, I just wonder about that connection between that on their way through the wall, kind of a slow, a slow process, but one that you could have gone back and, and seen, you know, all these yeah. markers for. I just feel yeah. like, you know, the nineties of our youth was, was sort of a, you know, the Clintonite optimism of the 90s yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, and the post-war sort of euphoria. And it was easy to miss the contraction and the rot, the like escalate, like precipitately rising inequity, the mm -hmm. precipitately rising, say, mass incarceration, like all the ways that the world was becoming an uglier, meaner, crueler version of itself were easy to miss because why? It was the Clinton 90s after the wall fall. And I feel like even a band, not a particularly political band like Pavement, was trying to communicate something like that. Like, mm -hmm. that's what I hear now in the actually punkish fury of sure. that diatribe song. And I didn't get it at the time, man. I was just a dumb kid. Mm -hmm. And it took me a long time. It took me a long time to unlearn that rote Clintonite right, 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 optimism. Right. And despite the fact that there are people trying to explain it to me. <laughs> just just couldn't get it just couldn't get it well enough took me a while i got there but it took a while i really appreciated the essay karaoke for the people which is broke up into a few, oh yeah right and and you're saying like and i like the algorithms obviously has issues if we're talking about you know what videos people watch and the reason why people are watching QAnon videos and yeah jeez Right. And Andrew Tate and all that crap. But like you reference like Midnight Train. And yeah. I love the lot, maybe the last couple of lines of that piece. You're saying like, like the fight over feminism, this this song is always a love song. Yeah. Just this idea that people you would kind of call, excuse me, you were kind of called out, you know, you know, in a fun way, like, oh, this is like an yeah. anti-feminist <laughs> song. Right. About uh, uh, about Midnight Train to Georgia. Yeah. It's a right. fight with a friend. 
who was like, everybody loves this song. And it was like, oh my God, that song is so terrible. It's about this uh, like awesome career woman giving up her life for this <laughs> total loser of a band. It's a totally fair reading. But another reading of the song is like, no, it's actually like a civil rights song. It's like about his sorrow. This guy is a beaten down. That's what you can hear in her voice. And anyway, it was just a scene of, of exuberant talk and people being together, people loving one another by, by fighting about a song. Uh, that's the thing that more than about anything else, that is the thing that's held me to the world. Like yeah. loving people by disputing with them about the um, things we we love most, even stupid things like records from the 70s, you know. Right about how in, in the everyday disaster, exactly that, there's this idea that you referenced Phoebe Bridgers and SZA as some of the artists who really just just get it. Um, this, yeah. Beautiful. this constant fight, right? Quotidian is the term you used earlier, just not these overwrought, you know, um, overly simplistic or overly hyper um, hyperbolic, but just this this everyday disaster. Yeah, those are some gifted songwriters. Those are some people renovating the tradition of damaged, frightening love. Yeah, mm. they really yeah. are some great songwriters. Steely Dan, maybe the most controversial part of the book, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know about that. Yeah, yeah that's it. Yeah, that's really. There's a couple essays that are just sort of about loving this friend of mine, John, and yeah. listen to a lot of Steely Dan together and. And, and again, partially like recognizing the, I don't know what you'd call it, like the objective absurdity of a thing. Like mm -hmm. I absolutely get why people cannot tolerate Celia. And I'm not even going to tell you you're wrong. <laughs> and also recognizing the unbelievable scale of meaning and consequence it's had for me and for John and for a wealth of other people and trying to right. get at some of why that might be some of what right. it does to hold you to the world. Yeah. I honestly couldn't like, you know, my my parents have such great music taste. We listen to everything from Smokey Robinson to other Motown things to the stuff. Oh, that rules. Yeah. yeah. And Steely Dan, like I, I would definitely recognize five, six of their songs. I might not have known it was them. <laughs> and I think I was kind of yeah. in I'm kind of in a middle generation where I didn't quite get the the controversy. I'm maybe a little bit younger, sorry. Um yeah. but, you know, but um just kind of saw them for what they were like oh that's a pretty dang good song and it seems yeah. to be like the youtube comments about some of their videos right oh for real yeah I, I, again this is my, my old I, I, youtube comments what do you i wouldn't do that why am i gonna wait in there <laughs> ruin my night i was just gonna say it's like you know there were definitely there are bands just like peaks in the 70s before my time i'm born 1971 mm -hmm. but by the time I'm a kid, what am I doing? I'm playing in bands. And then you're all oh, this band was had such chops. They're all there's a you uh, know, and they were not cool. They were not like a punk band. They were not the thing I was doing, but mm -hmm. nevertheless, they had this weird glamour uh to yeah. them. There's a brand new book out that's recently supposed to be great about them, which I which I have not yet read about mm -hmm. the intoxicating uh 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 glamour and also talent of Steely Dad and Sure. And someone who thought to themselves, like, and again, they're coked out 70s, like, let's combine uh, uh, the best harmonic traditions of American jazz with rock and roll. Okay, kids, let's do it. Yeah, let's uh -huh. see what happens, you know. <laughs> and that's a weird experiment. Yeah. <laughs> More personal would be the one of the, one of the essays about about graduations. And man, they talk about like yeah. a microcosm, the graduation of your, I want to say your oldest stepdaughter? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, a lot of, as you know, from me, a lot of the book is about, I mean, so you've heard me say like the book is about like how things like records and talking about them held, holds you to the world and helps you make a scene. Sure. And a lot of the book is about um, having been married and then um, not being married somewhat suddenly and having had these stepdaughters who were then what? They were my ex-stepdaughters. They were people I loved very much, but in whom... Uh, in relation to him, I had no sort of official mm -hmm. uh, title and sort of about how over many years we held ourselves together as people who loved each other and things like songs and playlists and going to Justin Bieber concerts and mm -hmm. graduation mixes were a real part of that. And I, I learned a great, great deal about what it means to make a world built out of love apart from the familiar mm -hmm. frameworks for love like right. family parenthood whatever i learned a lot about how to do that from those girls who are who are awesome who are now not girls who are now uh uh worldly um amazing people in their late 20s you know and that's so there's a lot as you'll see and there's a lot a lot a lot of essays about 
relating to adolescence and piecing mm -hmm. a world together after it's been damaged or broken or after it's suffused with so much sorrow. And, mm -hmm. and that uh, when I talk about like wanting to write about the adjacency of love and sorrow, that's a lot of the, the reason why. Well, very moving for sure. Uh, yeah, just that graduation scene and her final like comment and everything like that. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. They're good there. Yeah. They're wonderful. Both of those kids. Yeah. My, uh, my friend who's uh Sacramento's uh, born in Sacramento as well, but it's always loved everything in New York and has lived there for many years. He is the world's biggest Derek Jeter fan, but it sounds like you're up there too. <laughs> no, no, not even at all. Like <laughs> yeah. I just grew up yeah, as an Italian kid from the East coast. Who, what am I going to do? I'm going to root for the Yankees. And that, yeah, <laughs> it was fun to write a thing. Yeah. Part of that essay is like, why am I, why do I care about Derek Jeter of all people? Yeah. Uh, but that was again, a, a moment of being connected to distant people and getting a, getting a, getting a thing about it. Anyway, man, I, I was in, I was in New England for 16 years. I was deep, oh, deep, oh, gosh. deep in Red Sox country, you know. Including 2004 when they. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah all yeah. of it. 2003, 2004. Okay. Yeah. Oh, the whole, like, that was the whole. Oof. Yeah, it was right, it was right up in it. And wow. again, the friend who was visiting me just until moments ago is my friend from Maine from forever, grew up in Massachusetts. We went through it together you know right it's happy for him a little, little devastating <laughs> for me but we got we got through it <laughs> i love so many so much of the 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 faded star the you know gay talese had those the one about yeah. dimaggio and about sinatra it's obviously not just about sports but same with with jeter he was he was not the same he was he was 40 yeah. he was not very good anymore really objectively speaking for a major leaguer obviously better than yeah him able to pull it together for that last game and the last at bat Hollywood, right the hollywood last Indian. last at bat in yankee stadium yeah it was very and i was newly back in chicago and it's all very mm -hmm. it's very that's what that that's what that essay is about that little talismanic moment the essay loving john is, is about i want to say at least two johns three in fact john o'hara my friend john yes, yes yes and uh john darniel the the great great uh songwriter who is the mountain goats yeah I'm not going to give away the the really cool personal connection you had with him that was like I'm like wait a minute why why are my allergies kind of kicking in right now <laughs> what am I allergic to yeah. in this room right yeah it's very sweet it's very nice a kind uh, just a lovely yeah. lovely kind hearted man yeah when I do bookstore readings I'll often read that little piece yes the end of it particularly yeah just reading his um his Wikipedia page that's a that's a smart dude man that's an accomplishment yeah. Yeah, he's meant meant a lot to me for a for a long time, and um, I think I you were mentioning earlier uh, Marin. I think he's a, mm. if I'm not mistaken, he's a sort of favorite of of Marin's quite recently because he's great. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Such an, a a meta thing here where I got an I got a Eureka from your Eureka um, as a teenager. You talked about in the, in that essay about this kind of double Eureka that there's so many people out there that can love you, and maybe they don't want to. <laughs> Yeah, that's the terrible double discovery right. of adolescence, right? Like, oh my God, the world is filled with this yeah. this love that's not in this family and it's filled with yes. romance and sex and everything like that. And that's an incredible discovery. It makes you want to be alive. And then what you're also discovering is most all of them just absolutely don't care about you. Just don't, you couldn't, uh, you ever know you're exactly. And that's the devastation of that simultaneous discovery is a lot of the dreaminess and wooziness of being 16 yes. or whatever. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it, a lot of the book, a lot of the book has a lot of, a lot of patience for the adolescence. Yeah. Some really interesting stuff. You know, my, my kids are almost eight, almost six. Oh, what great ages. Uh, great ages. Right. And we're never going to be cool again. Right. Ever. That's no, you got to let it go. <laughs> got to let it go. Gotta let, that's, that's just, it's easier life now. You're just, you're just on the roller coaster. You're just riding it now. Somebody yeah. else has got to worry about the cool. There it is. And I, you know, I let you, you already mentioned the, the Justin Bieber concert. This is like, this is like Bieber a couple years after Baby, right? This is way back. It's right after. It's like right yeah. on. Yeah. So whatever that be, that's no, probably uh, fourteen years. Yeah, thirteen years ago. That's what just that an incredible was. memory. Obviously, something you'll oh, never forget. Righteous. Daughter will never forget. I laughed. Probably laughed out loud. Third Eye Blind. <laughs> Third Eye Blind is is the favorite band of one of my, or was the favorite band of one of my friends. And he, oh my god, yeah, so <laughs> great, you, <laughs> so bad, so great. Like uh, you know, I just can't. Yeah, yeah. What he loved about him was just like that, like. I am uh, Stephen Jenkins, right? The lead singer, like I am an a hole. Like I'm gonna wear a leather jacket. Yeah. I'm gonna smoke cigarettes. You know, what I mean? like, a, like a throwback. Well, right? I can tell you, I can tell you that in whatever it was, 2015 or whatever, when my mm -hmm. youngest was out here visiting Chicago, mm -hmm. it was just like 
it was it was just like a like a adrenaline shot to her <laughs> to her heart she was really deep diving yes. that song yeah and yeah i mean and I, and like i'm not going to lie to you and tell you that i'm not going to sing along with who can not it's incredibly it's a hydraulic friend. hooky song oh, yeah my, my god I, I think it. I told the kid at the time, it's more like a staph infection than a song. It's so catchy. Yeah. <laughs> I love the point you make as you talk about kind of, you know, continuing to bond over, over art. Uh, Chance the Rapper, obviously, is Chicago's, one of Chicago's yeah, finest. Chicago's own. Right. And just that line about when did you start to forget? When did you start to forget how to fly? Right. Yeah. It's a sweet song. It's a sweet, sweet song. Yeah. Same drugs. The song about like, mm. I'm sad because now we're growing apart. How can you tell? Because we do different drugs now. You know? Yeah, that's it. Like it's so in a in a in a premise that's so funny. Uh, mm. uh, that to have that much sweetness is a real thing. A, yeah, he's, he's got a lot of sweetness in him. Makes a lot him great. Of tenderness. I, I think you describe him so well. I don't know that I've ever. I don't love nor hate. I've only good things. I would have to say. I don't know that I know him too well. You just describe him so well about just like his just the way he does his music and yeah. it's definitely unique. It's definitely one of one. And I love that that point you make about so many times like. You know, often white people will be like, "Oh, he needs to be a certain type of." Yeah, I don't. I don't have a lot of time for that. Yeah, the like, like that value judgment is is just ridiculous. I don't. I don't need white people telling me that they need rappers to be more street than they are. I just don't. That's just not a. Yeah, like, that's not a. Yeah, just that's a bad look. It's a bad and, look. Oh my gosh, that scene you described where you're trying so hard not to be obtrusive while you're. I, I think uh, stepdaughter watches my so-called life. Yeah, that's some time ago. I will say that uh, this is an essay about having given my oldest daughter, this is many years ago, we still lived together, uh, a spectacularly great Christmas gift, which was the complete set of my so-called life. And man, she was whatever she was, 13, 14, and she just yeah. fell through the screen and she was yeah. so into it. And I was like, oh, maybe this is a time, like there's so much about high school sex. And I was like, maybe, uh -huh. hey, sweetie, maybe you want to, maybe you want to talk about something and she she did not <laughs> in a very <laughs> in a very admirable way on her part yeah funny slash cringy all the above and yeah. i just love how but i just love the just in general that idea of how how disappointing is it right when you love this movie and you're like hey what you're watching with somebody like watch watch this scene and they yeah. don't love it as much as you do it's just oh deflating you can't, right? you can't do it with adolescence you gotta let them <sighs> gotta be hands off gotta be hands yes. off yes Reference uh, the beautiful city of Chicago, which you've you come to love and know well, and that great that great that yeah. great Gwendolyn Brooks poem. Oh yeah, beautiful, right? Yeah, um, by my, so by my colleague and friend Anthony Walton, a beautiful poem called called uh, Gwendolyn Brooks that ends the, the the last line is the child she did not need to know to love. Yeah, yes, and obviously with you know with Palestine and Gaza and everything like that, and there's I, I felt like I felt that on nineteen different levels. Oh, that's good. I'm glad that's a right. that poet is the poet who wrote that poem is named Anthony Walton. Yes. Uh, originally from Chicago, now resides in Maine, a very gifted poet. I will yeah. I'll give props to Anthony. One of the I'm being that in my limited series watching, I'm I'm gonna say Sopranos for me is the greatest, greatest of all time. Um ah, that's right. Yeah, it's dear to me, but as you know from having read it, it's dear to me for strange reasons, which is being an East Coast Italian kid who mm. loved it so much because it was so artful and it was so, and my family, all first generation, they hated it. They thought it was mm. offensive. They thought it was stereotypical, all of which is true. It is stereotypical. Uh -huh. And when the pandemic, when I was missing them rather desperately, watching The Sopranos was a way to be in touch with my East Coast Italian family who never had any guns and who mm -hmm. never uh, had that, you know, and that was a, that was an intense set of relations to the Sopranos in the pandemic. Yeah. If you know, you know, I love that line about something about maybe being closer to the Cusamanos and Sopranos. Yeah. That was I mean, that was our best hope. We were not, we we're never going to be, <laughs> no, no, no. We were never going to be Cusamanos. Okay. Cause they were like, they were like, I mean, gone. they had money. We were, we could be like aspiring. They're the white bread wops. I think is what. Exactly. We could be okay. the, we could be Melfi's. That yeah. was going to be, yes. I was, yes. I was exactly. going off to be a professor. A she was mm -hmm. a shrink. Yeah. We could be aspiring Melfi's. Yeah. But doesn't mean it doesn't, doesn't mean that you're not loud and, and loving. No, right? no, you're very, as we talked about with the Gava deal. Yeah. We're very <laughs> loud, very loud and uh, feel very lucky yes. to have been loved. Even in the distance, everybody's back East. I'm in Chicago and I still feel cared for by my cousins and my yes. mom and dad my Eloise, my uncle joe yeah 
we'll, we'll end with this. Such a great line that I think so many that so many quote everyone I think could relate to. You talked about maybe you haven't seen a raised hand in anger. Is what they're saying. You know, have you ever seen a raised hand in anger? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. But maybe they had right this idea of Americanization and assimilation. And you say like, hey, just like just like Tony Soprano or James would have said like, hey, God bless. If you find a song or a show that sustains you, if it's the <laughs> Sopranos, if it's Steely Dan. A salute, right? A salute, exactly. You know, I say you just like, uh, God bless. You're doing God that. Bless. God bless. That's your thing. Uh, God bless. Why would I stand between you and your thing? Makes you happy. It's keeping you in the world. Yes. Bless. Yes. Yeah. We yeah, haven't begun a... to talk about David Bowie and back of you. And we can talk for hours. <laughs> thanks so much for uh, for talking to me. I love I love your passion, your enthusiasm for everything That's... Prince and Sam Lipstein and Sopranos, and just been it's, a pleasure talking to you. It's a delight to talk to you. Thank you so much for for having me on. I hope your I hope your listeners get hold of the book, and yeah, I hope I I I, I hope other folks enjoy it too. Thank you so much for talking to me. Give us a quick shout out. Give us tell us the uh, the publisher where we can buy it. Any oh, the book stores? is called Is There God After Prince. And its subtitle is Dispatches from an Age of Last Things. It's called Is There God After Princess from the University of Chicago Press. It's 20 bucks. You can get it wherever you can get a book. And I'll definitely in the episode links and, you know, little clips I put on, on Twitter and social media, I'll definitely put the, the buying information. Uh, that's Such very, very kind of you. That's very kind of you. Been a pleasure. Thank you so much. A pleasure. I hope you enjoy the, the California uh, Saturday and I'm going to get oh. into my day over here. pleasure has been to speak today with my namesake with peter coviello continue good luck to him with his writing and important work and again maybe i'm his namesake thank you for listening to this episode of the chills of will podcast you can now subscribe to the podcast on apple Podcasts and leave a five-star review please you can also ask for it by name using alexa and find it on stitcher spotify and on amazon music follow me on instagram where i'm at chills at will podcast or on twitter where i'm at chills at will po1 the digit one you can watch other episodes on youtube the chills at will podcast channel please subscribe to both the youtube channel and my podcast while you're checking out this episode i'm very excited that starting in february with episode 220 with neef ekpadum i will have one or two podcast episodes per month featured on the website of chicago review of books the audio will be posted along with a written interview cold from the audio. A big thanks to Rachel Leone and Michael Welch at Chicago Review. I'm so looking forward to the partnership. Sign up now for the Chills of Will podcast Patreon. It can be found at patreon.com backslash chills at will podcast Peter Real. My last name is spelled R-I-E-H-L. Check out the page that describes the benefits of a Patreon membership, including cool swag and bonus episodes. Thanks in advance for supporting my one-man show, my DIY podcast, and my extensive reading, research, editing, and promoting to keep this independent podcast pumping out high-quality content. This is a passion project of mine, a DIY operation, and I'd love for your help in promoting what I'm convinced is a unique and spirited look at an often-ignored art form. The intro song for the podcast is Wind Down Instrumental, and the other song played on the episode was Hoops Instrumental by Matt Whitehour. Both songs are used through archesaudio.com. Please tune in for episode 225 with Andres N. Ordorica, author of the poetry collection At Least This I Know. His writing has been shortlisted for the Morley Prize for Unpublished Writers of Color and the Saltire Society's Poetry Book of the Year. How We Name the Stars, his first novel, was published on January 30th. This episode will air on February 27th. For now, thanks again for listening. I hope that these uncertain days bring you texts by writers with mad skills like Peter Coviello, whose work, like Is There God After Prince, gives you chills at will. Mm -hmm.